our life was built on a foundation of loss. Had there not and and I was thrilled to become a mother Mm -hmm. and felt a little guilty about being thrilled because the only reason I was a mother is that my husband and my son had lost somebody. And I, there was this push me, pull me feeling about how I should feel. And I didn't feel as though I could burden them with that. They had already suffered a loss and me reconciling my, you know, wanting to feel like a mommy versus their tremendous loss didn't feel fair. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome, persisters and brothers. It's Lisbeth, and I haven't checked in with you at what feels like ages, but really, I've I've just been out of town for a week. I went to Las Vegas for a book conference, 20 Books to 50K, and wow, was that something. To be able to organize a conference with 2,000 attendees post-COVID, I just, I was gobsmacked at how incredibly well-run the conference was and what amazing speakers and nice attendees. Super grateful to my dear friend, Gary, for being good company and providing, allowing me to be his roommate for a little while and stay and visit with him. Just what made it so much more fun. And it was a lot for somebody who is truly loves people, but is an introvert. It was overwhelming. And yet I think I'm going to go again and it gets less overwhelming is what I hear. So shout out to Craig Martell and the other folks who run 20 books to 50 K conferences for writers. It's, it's fantastic. I'm really, really excited for today's episode. I'm going to introduce to you in a minute, Betsy Graziani Fassbender. She is an author that I knew from my publication experience Betsy's written several books, but the one we'll talk maybe most about today is um, In Her Shoes. Betsy is not only a fabulous and award-winning author of books on public speaking, on a novel, on being a stepmother when the child's biological mother had passed away, but she's also a coach. She's been a therapist. She teaches Fortune 500 companies workshops on um, communication, and she teaches people about public speaking. That's one of her superpowers. So Betsy is an all-around amazing person, and I look forward to introducing you to her. And also, she has a stunning uh, podcast that I was fortunate to be on called The Morning Glory Project. So in show notes, we'll have these links And I surely hope that you enjoy Betsy as much as I know I'm just about to. And also props to Betsy. I just got back home from Las Vegas and had realized I didn't sync my calendar. And she was kind enough to be recorded early so that I could not miss out on the other appointment I have today. Excuse me. I have a book group that I'm doing for a group of Chattanoogans. And I haven't done a live book group since I've moved here. 
So, you know, an in-person book group. So thanks, Betsy, for letting it happen. And thanks to Trish and her friends at the book group for inviting me. And we'll get started in just a little second here. Betsy Graziani Fassbender is with us now. And thank you, Betsy. I gave you an introduction and I made a big mistake. So let me just correct that before you start and welcome. Thank welcome you. to Persistence You. Betsy's book, one of them is Filling Her Shoes. I got that mixed up with In Her Shoes. So that's a big difference. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit today and Betsy's other books. But Betsy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I, I love talking with you. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful to talk with you as well. And I adored being your guest on the Morning Glory Project. So thank you for that. And I'll need to remember to put a link to that in show notes as well. And you're coming to us from California, correct? I am. I live in the Bay Area, just about 30 minutes north of San Francisco. Beautiful. And you have done so many great works. But one of the things that I adored was when you have promoted your book, Filling Her Shoes, and you talk about it, the beauty of inheriting a family when you marry, but mm -hmm. your situation was maybe a little different than others. And, and I love some of the lessons that you unpacked. Mm -hmm. about that. So can we talk a little bit about that particular book and how you came to write Filling Her Shoes? Sure. It, it's really sort of a love story in, of my family, not just of me and my my partner, but of my family. My I had known my husband. I, I met him when I was 15 and he was 25, but we didn't get together because right. I was 15 and he was right. 25. Right? <laughs> and he wasn't a bad guy. Sounds so appropriate. <laughs> would not have been appropriate. And he married and I married and he was a good, he was roommates with my uh, now brother-in-law and friends with my sister in college. So they were college chums and I was the little kid sister. Right. And so it's kind of an extended part of our family community. And I knew his first wife and I knew when his son Max was born. And then his wife, very young in her very early thirties, uh, got leukemia and passed when Max was just, had just, just, just turned five. And oh. of course I always loved Tom because he was part of our family, but I, I didn't think of him romantically because he was with somebody, you know, you sure. put somebody in the friend zone, I think they call that. Right. <laughs> you know, I just truly didn't think of him in those ways for myself. And then, you know, a, about a year and a half after she had passed, he called me up. He was like, what? <laughs> you know? Oh, wait, I have to recalibrate who you are. And, it, it, you know, we had known each other for 16 years before our first date. Right. So it didn't take long for us to know what we had. And so when, when we got together, then, of course, I was stepping. The reason my book is called Filling Her Shoes is I was stepping into the shoes of a mother taken too soon. Right. And there are lots and lots of blended families in the world for various reasons divorce and separation and remarriage and all sure. the kinds of things that cause blendings of families. But when I went to, I'm a reader. So of course, when I was becoming a blended family of this kind, I went to the bookstore and I, I was looking on, on the shelf for the, a book that would kind of provide me some guidance. And everything was about managing the ex and visitation and child support and all those kinds of things that had nothing to do with my life. Right. And I realized that I had, on one hand, the really good fortune that lots of families with divorce don't have, that, that 
I had something they don't have, which is I didn't have to worry about an ex. I didn't have to worry about custody battles or alimony checks or, you know, all the kind of complicating things that can happen in a divorce situation. Um, But I did have tremendous grief. Our life, I call it, the subtitle of my book is uh, a memoir of an inherited family because our life was built on a foundation of loss. Had there not been, and, and I was thrilled to become a mother mm-hmm. and felt a little guilty about being thrilled because the only reason I was a mother is that my husband and my son had lost somebody. Wow. And I, there was this push me, pull me feeling about how I should feel. And I didn't feel as though I could burden them with that. They sure. had already suffered a loss right. and me reconciling my, you know, wanting to feel like a mommy versus their tremendous loss didn't feel fair. So right. I did what I have always done when I have trouble coping. And that is that I wrote and I wrote stories about our life. I wrote not just journal, but I wrote them as stories to cope because I couldn't really talk about it. So I never intended to show them to anybody. They weren't for public consumption. And then when my older son, and and then we subsequently had another son together. Mm -hmm. So when my older son, the one whom I adopted when we got married, uh, when he was about 16 or 17, I was invited to read at a Mother's Day event. And they asked me to read a story about a mother. And I thought, I'll look through those. And pretty soon, I, I just thought I was reading this sweet little story about loving my son. And the reaction from the audience told me that I had something more that I was striking a chord in people that either had lost a parent, had lost a spouse, knew a friend. You know, just like, you know, as soon as you tell your story, even if the circumstances are wildly different from somebody else's, if you tell essential truth, they connect with it and heartstrings are pulled. And so I asked my son if he, if he was okay. First of all, I asked him if he was okay, if I read the story and he was 16, I don't care, mom, go, you know, (laughs) like a lot of 16 year old boys, but he was so supportive. And he said, no, I, and I asked him if he wanted to pre-read it. No, I trust you. Whatever you say, I know that you'll tell the truth. Very lovely that way. And so it's, it became this collection filling her shoes. I think that is so beautiful. It's, you know, you had the good fortune of inheriting a family. And I, I know that there were certain things you didn't have to deal with, but one thing you might've had to deal with in some families, there is a romanticism. If someone has died, you know, there is that sort of like, they've become an angel in their mind. And then you are here. Did you have any of that? Or was it pretty seamless? Because you had a long history of friendship before the relationship began. Well. I don't think that that my her name was Janet. I don't think that Janet got elevated on this pedestal the way that sometimes sort of somebody becomes not just a ghost but a god. Right. Right. You know, I I didn't have that. My husband's a very practical kind of down to earth person, so I didn't have so much that. But I also, though, in addition to loving my son and my husband and and us becoming a family and dealing with grief, there was also his mother's extended family. Okay. So I call them not my in-laws, but my outlaws <laughs> because they weren't, my mother-in-law wasn't technically my mother-in-law. Right. My husband's first wife's mother. Right. Oh, wow. But they were very close to my son. Right. So they, they became mine. 
So I call them my outlaws. And um, they're they're now many years later, 32 years later, they're now past, but uh, but they were an important part. And they, of course, they, they couldn't have been lovelier to me, but you know, they lost a daughter right. and I was stepping in. That's and right. I know that they must they were on one hand, just like I was saying before, love and loss, grief and gratitude are not opposites in our family. They are woven. So they were, I'm sure, at one on one hand, and they told me so, they were happy to have me loving their grandson, and, and they were very supportive. And I'm sure that it was uncomfortable for them to see me stepping into a role with their grandson that was right. occupied by their daughter. And, you know, so there, it was mostly I had a lovely experience, but there were moments that were challenging in that way. You know, and then you know, we also just had the reality of the fact that I was stepping into a crowd of people that had, had suffered a profound loss. So when I was thinking about, oh, my first Mother's Day, you know, I'm all bubbly about that. Well, that's the first, that's the day that they remember who they lost. Right. So there was this opposite <laughs> path in our minds. And it was a setup for me to be disappointed because they couldn't, they, you know, it wasn't about, you know, making cards and bringing breakfast in bed, like you kind of see on the Hallmark movies. Right. So it was, it was much more of a wet blanket on things. It was, you know, difficult. And I, I didn't know what to do with it. That's why I wrote. I right. wrote. Yeah. I love that because, you know, just like you said, love and loss and grief and gratitude coexist, but you were cognizant of it. I don't know that everyone would have been as conscious and empathetic toward the family of uh, the the first mother. And so it's wonderful that you were, on the other hand, that had to be a damper at times. Well, it's funny that you use the term first mother because uh, one of the stories that is in the book and that has been, it's been published in a number, it got published in Reader's Digest, Women's Day as a entity. It's called, Who Will This Be to Me? Because one, a week before, we were getting married, I was sorting out some photographs and showing Max, you know, some of my family, extended family members. And he would look at, well, who would this be to me? And he'd point to my grandfather, who will this be to me? Who will this be to me? And the last question he asked was he put his hand on my face and he said, who will this be to me? Oh, wow. And I thought, well, here's the moment, right? Here's the moment. Right. And I sat and I said, I guess I'll be your second mom. Beautiful. Is that okay with you? And then he said, yeah. And he, I said, he's, he said, well, what am I supposed to call you? Yes. Right? Wow. What am I supposed to call you? Now, every urge in my body was call me mommy. You know, everything was that, but I knew I had this other force in me. So I said, and he had called me Betsy his whole life because he'd known me. Right. So I said, well, honey, you can call me Betsy. You can call me mom. You know, we can make a new name, whatever feels okay for you. And we went like that. And then for about three or four days, he would say something like, you know, can I go out and play? And he would just mouth the word mom. He wouldn't say it out loud. Right. Would say it, you know, what do we have for dinner? Wow. Over and over again. And then pretty soon it just slipped back and I was Betsy again. Sure. And, I was, and there was a tiny little heartbreak. I'm going to tell you, it was like, <laughs> sure. And then about a month later in the car where all magical 
conversations happen with children, you know, cars. Right. <laughs> so we're in the car and he said, I notice I don't call you mom anymore. Okay. Now he's, you know, seven at this right. point, six and a half. And I said, yeah, I noticed. And he said, well, I think it's better that way because moms die sometimes. Oh my goodness. So here I had this little heartbreak. He was protecting me. Right. That's beautiful. That, that he said it. That? Right. Right. Well, how did that play out safe. then? I think it's safer if I call you Betsy. And he always has. And from that point forward, whenever he calls me, he's he's in his late 30s now. Sure. When he calls me Betsy, I hear mom. I love it. I think that's beautiful that you could have those conversations too. speaks well to your relationship, but that's so healing because you could have had a lifetime of feeling on the outside or a lifetime of resentment or a lifetime right. of pressuring a kid to say something that he did that hurt him to say, or that felt unsafe to him. Sure. I think it's about, I think, and I think this is true of step families, blended families in divorce situations too. I think it's about letting setting your ego aside and really looking at, you know, these are people that are going through a huge transition of sure. one, a, a loss of whatever kind. And when your ego gets tangled up in that, and I'm not saying I didn't have any ego because I certainly did. And, there, and I had moments that I didn't do so well too. But when I set my ego aside and thought about what this really is, this is really us living on after a loss. And how can you not empathize with a child who already had the most horrible thing that can happen to a kid to have their mother die when they're small? That's right. a terrible thing to happen. So how could I possibly burden him with my, you know, needs for people to hear me, him call me mommy? Right. I mean, what an absurd expectation that is. Yes. Really. So yes. I, I kind of invented in my head anyway, I like to think it would go out in the world. I invented a new term because I never liked the word stepmother. Sure. Because every fairy tale has an evil stepmother or a wicked right. stepmother, right? So I think of it as a step in mother, a mother who steps in. Yes. And, and everybody's done this. You've probably done this, even with kids that are not your own. You step in for a moment mm -hmm. because you see a kid running around the hardware store and he's, he's, there's no parent and you stand and you hover for just a minute until you see a daddy or a mommy come. Right. So you right. step or you step in for a little longer. We've, we've had, you know, friends of my kids that needed a place to stay for whatever reason that you step in for a little while, or you step in for a lifetime, you know, you foster a child or you adopt a child or, or you marry and you're a step mother. Right. So I, I think of them as step in parents and not. Step I love in. it. I love that. It really helps to adjust expectations, which I feel like is half the battle of the ego issue that can get involved. You know, yeah, you're stepping in, but you're not stepping on, you're not right. stepping on the other person, right? You're not squashing somebody else's memory. I also always wanted other, I kept belongings of, of Janet's for to give Max later. I wanted there to be photographs of her in the house. I didn't want there to be a competition that he had to feel as though he had to choose somehow. Correct. Oh, at five, you know, his memory, his actual memories of her are very few. Right. So it was nice that you could help keep those alive yeah. and celebrate those by having her present in your home, you know, in her belongings and things like that and memories. Yeah. And truly, I think that's the beauty of writing the book also is you honored her 
in the book, filling her shoes. What was the process like? Cause he was older by then, right? He was in his twenties or was he in his thirties, Max? You were no. When, when you wrote filling her shoes. Oh no, he, I was writing it while it was happening. Right. Wow. Okay. But I didn't publish it until he, it was, he was nearly 20. Okay. Wonderful. Wow. The years have, have gone quickly then. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, he must've been older than that because it came out in 2013. So, okay. Okay. Nine years ago. Yeah. So yeah. Late twenties. He was in his, his mid twenties. Yeah. It's still one thing to have a number of essays being written and published sometimes, but far another to it all be compiled into a beautiful book. Well, but- okay. Now I'm going to tell you the really schmaltzy yep. story. So my Max is now married and uh, the book came out a little while before he got engaged. Okay. And he, he hadn't read it. It, it, it was a, an advanced reader copy. Sure. And he and his then fiance read it to each other. They read chapters to each other. And she told me that it felt like she got to know Max in a new way before they were married. That is beautiful. Yeah. I I didn't make that happen. That just happened quite magically. I'm pretty fortunate. Right. But that's just beautiful for other parents who, for whatever reason, are going to be step-in parents. What do you think about the process of writing? Was it therapeutic? Has it always been therapeutic for you as a way to put some perspective and get empathy for the other people involved? Or is it just specifically in your case? What do you think? Well, I write, I wrote this memoir, but I also write fiction. Sure. And, and you know, the, the cool thing about being a writer is you do get to try to step into other people's socks, right? And look at the world, how they look at it. Right. And so, Somehow writing it both makes you go deeper within yourself, but also lets you stand outside and look at it from different angles. And I think that I think that was really useful for me. It was also just an expression of my own confusion. I got to sort the things out on the page rather than mess them up with my kid. Right. <laughs> you know, or my husband. You know, I got to kind of work it out first a little bit. And right. My and and in counseling and therapy, you know, those kinds of sure. things. But, but it was really, it, you know, Anais Nin said that she, she wrote so that she could taste life twice, right? That was her quote. And I've always thought that was lovely and poetic, but it didn't describe my experience. I write so that I can understand life once. <laughs> I write so I can understand it. <laughs> right. And that it kind of gets it inside your head. It rattles around, you know, like a pinball, ding, 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 ding. It just, sure. It, but if you get it out of there and put it on the page, somehow it's it's easier to analyze it. And other people do it through visual arts or music or other things. There are other ways sure. of expressing. But for me, telling the story of it on the page lets me sort it, integrate it, let go of it, all of those things. I love it. I think that's wonderful. And it makes me, when you said that, it makes me sort of regret that I wasn't writing about real important things as they were occurring with my kids as they were older, because I was always focused on writing a a memoir of old events. I should have taken that nudge. And it does help now that I have the time to write things out before responding uh, or reacting. It really can be so beneficial. So I think that's just fantastic. And I also think it's wonderful that it was 
clearly helpful for his fiance to know that different side. I I never, ever, ever would have predicted that. That's one of the many beautiful gifts that writing can bring is, is just that deep connection. Well, you know, Elizabeth, I, I hesitate to say this this way, but I'm going to, (laughs) I don't, I'm not a person of religion. Uh, I'm a person of spiritual faith, but not organized religion. Storytelling is about as close as I come to having a religion, because I feel strongly that in whatever form that humans have this innate need to tell stories, to hear stories, and that that's the connective tissue between us yes. that that no that I'm, I'm a big lover of other animals and they chirp and squawk and bark and bellow and all of those things so they communicate too I, and I don't understand all that but I do know that humans tell stories right in a unique way and I think that when whether they're lived stories or imagined stories almost makes no difference right. my life has been changed by fiction that I've read that's been in, inspired me to look at my life a different way. It's it's why I'm such a it's why I'm a writer it's why I'm a coach of writers to help them get their stories out right it's why I host a podcast that helps people tell those stories because I really believe honestly and this is the loftiest thing I'll ever say I believe if we want to change the world it's going to be through storytelling it's going to be because we have empathy for people that we think of as other than ourselves right. it's going to be because we get insights into what other what matters what what pain what struggle what joy other people that we don't know experience and if we don't have stories we'll never have empathy right and the stories can be that. told in lots of ways but my my way is writing but you know when you've heard a storyteller or you've heard, and it's stuck in your mind that you suddenly changed your view of that person or that kind of person. Right. I think that's how, isn't that what the UN is about is we, you know, we share stories and, you know, this is what it's like in my country. Right. I I know there are political things in there too, but I just think it's it's empathy building. I like it. Absolutely. All stories. That's what I love about music and movies It is empathy building. And I feel like when you're writing a story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you can't help but have your own lens. So even if you're writing fiction, there's a bit of nonfiction in there because it's seen through that world or that character is seen through your eyes. But when you're writing nonfiction, especially as you've written your your memoir or or the book of essays about, you know, filling her shoes, you just get to know other people's perspectives better. It gives you that comfortable distance, but it helps you empathize deeper. Well, none of that sometimes, I mean, I know that when I was an adolescent, the first kind of grown-up book that I read, you know, that was not a kid's book or a storybook of, you know, with drawings in it, right, was A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is fiction, I think, inspired by real life, but it's a, it's a, it's fiction. And it was the first book I ever read or story I ever read where there was an alcoholic dad. And I had a dad with an alcohol problem. And I honestly, at that age, with the age of magical thinking, right? I kind of thought, how did Betty Smith look in my window? How did she see me? So, you know, I saw me in her story. And I mean, I didn't literally think she'd done that, but there was this feeling of being seen and understood by somebody who wrote a fictional story about a character I'll never meet. And still there's something magical that happens when you feel seen. Right. Absolutely. You feel seen, included, even respected in a way and brought in. 
And well, I and think- that's why it's so important to have all the have different ethnic groups and all kinds of different people and diverse peoples represented so that they can see themselves in stories too. You know, exactly. Not exactly. every Disney princess needs to look like Ariel. Right. 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 And I am so excited to see that they don't any longer, you know, we're getting, we're making diff- little strides here and there. Well, where, where can people get to find more out about your books? Because there are a number of them and the morning glory podcast. Can you tell us for so, listeners to well, connect with you and readers? Absolutely. Well, first of all, there's a, a main website yes. and my name is a, and by the way, the, the ridiculousness of my name, Betsy Graziani Fassbender is it, the reason I have that crazy name is in filling her shoes. Okay. <laughs> That's got to do with my bond with my son. Uh, so Betsy Graziani Fassbinder with one S F A S B I N D E R.com. And then the morning glory project is my podcast where I feature stories of determination like your own. Mm-hmm. Thank you Thank for you. being a guest there. People, because I, I'm perhaps because of what I've gone through in my own family and uh, I had suicide loss in my family and a number of things that I'm fascinated with, with how people endure and move on because not everybody does. And I don't mean move on, but live with and succeed in their life, have happiness and joy and all the things that life has when other people fold up and don't make it. Right. So the morningglory.project.com you and you can find the morning glory project wherever you find your podcasts or by going to the website itself and it's all about I told you it's my religion <laughs> writing them telling them helping other people tell them and formally as a therapist helping people tell their intimate stories so it's all about the sharing of our our lived and imagined stories I love it. Thank you so much. It was, it's been a wonderful conversation. I, I can't wait to see what you do next, which by the way, what are you working on? Oh gosh, that's just a terrible question. <laughs> so many things. Well, I'm, I'm the morning glory project is taking a good, good hunk of time. So I'm sure doing, we have some beautiful stories coming up in 2023 coming right. up here soon. And I've been writing a novel for a while that that's been wrestling me back a little bit. So I, I decided to take we're not divorced, but we are on a separation at the moment. I'll come back to it in the new year. But you I, and your I, novel, just to clarify, you yeah. and your novel are you know, yeah, not me and my husband. My husband and I, you know, we had our 30th anniversary. We're good. Congratulations. But the, but the book and I, <laughs> we took, we're on a little break. <laughs> okay. I get it. I totally understand. But oh, back to exciting. it after the first of the year. Well, wonderful. Best wishes in all you do. And thanks so much again for today. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.